Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Well, it does not bring the police officer back, but it is at least some sense of justice being done. This morning in Milwaukee County Circuit Court, 27-year-old Jordan Fricky. he was the wannabe gangster, low-level drug dealer, gun dealer who um, shot and killed Milwaukee police officer Matthew Rittner last February. Everybody knows the story by now. Officer Rittner was part of the, the SWAT team, the tactical enforcement unit. They were executing a search warrant at Rittner's home, and Rittner grabbed a gun that he had by the bed and shot through the door after the police had announced themselves and ended up hitting Officer Rittner and, and killed him. He appeared after being convicted. Uh, Fricky appeared in court today in front of my namesake, um, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Jeff Wagner, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In Wisconsin, a conviction for first-degree intentional homicide carries a mandatory life sentence, but the judge has a number of options. A judge, even within that framework, can say you're going to be eligible for parole after 20 years. That doesn't mean you're going to get parole, but it means you'll be eligible. You can be eligible for parole at some point in time after 20 years or life in prison without the possibility of parole. Judge Wagner decided on that third option. It is completely and totally an appropriate situation under the circumstance. And again, it it doesn't bring back the police officer, but at least it's a step towards you know, advancing the cause of justice for somebody who, at least in my opinion, knowingly and intentionally took the life of a Milwaukee police officer. Now, I, I start off with that discussion and applauding the sentence because I think it was absolutely correct because there's another sentence that happened in this case yesterday. And it's a slightly different set of facts, but it is creating this huge controversy. And this is this case that's got national attention out of Dallas. The former Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger. And let me just start off by saying, I don't think the threatened riots or protests are appropriate. Now, here's the deal. Amber Geiger former Dallas police officer. She's relatively young, and because we view everything through the prism of race, she is white. Everybody, I think, knows the story by now. Last summer, she's coming home home from her shift, and she's worked like overtime. She gets off on the wrong floor at her apartment complex in Dallas. She is apparently, you know, on the phone. She's at least allegedly sending, like, racy messages to some guy that she's seeing on the police department. So she's tired. She's distracted. She gets off on the fourth floor instead of the third floor. She walks into the, the hallway of her of the apartment building, but she's on the wrong floor. She 
according to her testimony, doesn't realize that she's on the wrong floor. Now, there's all sorts of indicators as to why she should have noticed she's on the wrong floor, but she says she's not paying attention to this. And I think for, you know, I think most of us can perhaps relate. Have you ever gotten off on the wrong floor and then realized, gee, I'm on the wrong floor? Have you ever looked for your car in a parking garage and gotten off on the wrong floor? And she gets off on the wrong floor and does not notice that she's, you know, on the wrong floor. She goes up to what she thinks is her apartment, but it's not her apartment because she's one floor up. Doesn't notice the fact that, you know, her, her apartment number, which is supposed to be, what, 318 or whatever, she's in front of 418, doesn't notice the fact that the welcome mat is red instead of blue or, or whatever. So she she is distracted. Um, she goes to open the door. The door is unlocked. So she goes into this apartment thinking that she's going into her apartment. Well, she's in somebody else's apartment, and there's the apartment owner sitting, lights off, guys watching TV. He stands up when he sees somebody walking into his apartment. She pulls out her service resolver and shoots and kills him. Right, So that's the underlying facts. She is charged, and as we talked about before, in my opinion, completely and totally appropriately convicted of first-degree intentional homicide. That's, you know, that's she's so she's convicted of this particular crime. Jury is only out like an hour and a half to decide on her guilt. Okay, no problem at all with that verdict. It is appropriate. What's interesting in Texas is the juries in cases like this have input into the, the sentencing. And what happens is yesterday, the jury at the end of the sentencing phase of the trial, not the guilt phase, but the sentencing trial comes down and sentences her to 10 years in prison. The prosecution had recommended 28 years. She gets a 10-year sentence. Now, the brother of the victim, you perhaps saw the footage, he says, look, I, I don't, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think she needs to be in jail. Well, goes over and he hugs her. Prosecution wanted 28 years. She gets 10 And immediately afterwards, you have a number of, quote unquote, social justice advocates who are absolutely outraged. You know, the phrase, no justice, no peace, et cetera, et cetera. That's what people are chanting. The idea being a relatively attractive white police officer shoots and kills a person of color and only gets 10 years. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I honestly don't remember if I said this on the air or off the air to one of my teammates who was saying, what do you think she's going to get? And what I said was, I think it's probably going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 years. So it was 10. I don't think that this was an inappropriate sentence. And I say that understanding that I have just said that I think the life sentence without parole for Jordan Fricky was completely and totally appropriate. So, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did Amber Geiger get off easy? Is this an outrage? And by the way, to the extent you want to look at it through a racial prism, the jury in this case that ultimately made the decision, uh, two white people and ten non-whites, um, number of African Americans and a number of other persons of color. So 10 non-white people, two white people. So, I mean, it was a very, very racially diverse jury. But let's tee this up. Okay, did she get away with murder? 414-799-1620 was a 10-year sentence an absolute injustice. Should people be outraged in Dallas? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
414-799-1620. Let's start with Terry on the south side. Hi, Terry. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good morning. Good morning. Good okay, okay, good afternoon. Do you think this was an outrage? Uh, actually, no, I have two quick points. No, I don't. I think, uh, like I was telling the screener, you have to take, when you do sentencing, you have to take into account how, effect, how what the impact on that person will be. And I think that 10 years plus the fact that she's going from police officer and getting stripped of her gun and badge to now being a convicted felon of murder mm-hmm. of an unarmed citizen in his own home, I think when you add that all together, I think it's appropriate. And also, uh, uh, real quick, I just wanted to say, um, a couple of years ago, I was uh, coming home from work, and I picked my son up from school. And when we got home, my door was slightly ajar in my apartment. And when I, uh, I guess there was like a water leak, and the maintenance people came to uh, right. fix it real quick because it was leaking down into the next, uh, downstairs. And I, I was like, why is my door open? And when I went in, I heard a noise. So my son kind of stayed back. I'm a concealed carrier. I, right. I unholstered my firearm. I kind of kept it down to my side. And I went in, and I looked. I didn't see anyone. And when I got to the bathroom where I heard the noise coming from, the maintenance guy was in there. And now I didn't point my gun. He actually didn't even see it. I kind of put it back, and I was like, oh, okay. Right. That's what's going on. So I think part of it, too, is you do have that element of shooting before assessing the situation. So, right. no, but I know. Uh, I you know. see. I think you're onto some. I I do think you you have to look at intent. Now she was convicted of murder, and that that and I think that was the just verdict. But this is, for example, different than the guy in Milwaukee, this Jordan Fricky today, who you know he's he's a low level drug dealer, arguably he's you know a low level gun dealer. The police are doing a search warrant. Police, police, open up, and you pull a gun and you shoot through the door at police. Okay, that shows a particular intent. In this yeah. case, she was wrong. She committed a crime, but I don't think anybody argued. I don't think anybody said, oh, she she went into this guy's place with the intent to kill him. She was just, she made a series of mistakes that she has yeah, to be held accountable for. I don't think she did either. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm African-American, and I know that sometimes, you know, my people are quick to jump. But you, you we have to be realistic. I, You could tell she was remorseful, and I think that the people in the courtroom felt that, and I think that's why they gave her the hugs and stuff. Right. I mean, I... I Right. I think that you can make a mistake and sincerely make another mistake in the process of that, which would be getting off on the wrong floor and maybe, like I right. said, being too quick to pull the trigger right. instead of assessing the situation. And, right. I mean, no, which is, got, yeah, no, I got, hey, hey th- thanks for calling, which, which is why she deserved to be convicted. And I, I think when we talked about this a week or so ago, that was pretty much the unanimous feeling of, of both all of, of all of us, that, that she clearly deserved to be convicted, and I'm glad the jury did it. The whole sentencing thing is a different question, though. And, and look, 10 years is a long time. I, that, that's just that's the reality of this. 10 years is a long time. And I guess I do, I do kind of resent the intent to racialize this, which is one of the reasons that, again, I, I point out that the, the jury in this case was um, – overwhelming majority of uh you know non-majority jurors i mean you had it was it was overwhelmingly persons of color 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line let's talk to adam and oshkosh adam you're on wtmj hey hi jeff uh, hi. i know you kind of covered a lot of it but uh, maybe i'll just add that um some of the factors in sentencing are um whether or not the person presents a danger to society and uh and, and wanting to dissuade society from similar behavior. And I don't think she's either of those. I don't think, um, you know, she's a danger to society. And I don't, and, and she certainly wasn't, um, 
looking right. to kill that man. So, you know, should she spend some time in jail? Absolutely. And a long, and a long period of time. I mean, 10 years is not, I mean, 10 years, it's not like you're going to get out tomorrow. She's yeah, going to be in prison for a long right. time. Yeah, but intent definitely should factor into this, uh, I think. And, right. Um, it was a judgment call that was made, and I, and I happen to agree with that. Are, are you surprised the jury, uh, again, a majority of, you know, of composed a majority of minorities on the jury decided to come down with this sentence? Boy, I, you know, I I saw the videos too, and it's it would be pretty hard to be vindictive against this woman after seeing the stuff that I saw, yeah, you know, in the courtroom. So I, I don't know anybody that isn't moved by that. It's got a heart of stone. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Sarah in Milwaukee. Sarah, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Sarah. What do you think? I think she should have gotten more than ten years. Okay. Uh, and listening to him, sorry, I forgot his name, but that just spoke saying, you know, she's not a danger to society. She doesn't have the, she didn't have the intent to kill. Well, nobody has the intent to kill when it, until it happens. It, it People snap every day. Mm-hmm. And I read stories that she actually had a past with him. They dated briefly and she got off on the wrong floor. Well, she lived on the first floor, if I'm mistaken, but I think she lived on the third floor and he lived on the fourth floor. The, yeah, she got off on she got off on the fourth floor instead of the third is what I think happened. Okay, and how do you not realize you're hitting I, the wrong number? No, I'm, I, I mean I'm 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 with Sarah. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean I, I'm with you, but I, I don't think anybody, even, even the prosecution, suggested that this was anything other than a mistake. I, I don't think there's anybody that thought that for whatever reason she went to intentionally execute or, or murder this guy. I think almost everybody accepted the notion that this was a, a series of mistakes. You know, by mistakes I mean she just wasn't paying attention. She completely zoned out. And that doesn't excuse it, but I mean, it's not like she stalked the guy and went in with the idea of executing him. But how, all apartment buildings, anywhere you go, have apartment numbers. Uh, yep. And there's no two numbers the same in the apartment complex. Yep. I, I right. well, right. I, I mean, right here. I look. I, I mean, thanks to look. I, I, I don't want to retry the case. I'm just telling you the prosecution didn't argue that this was something that she intended to do. I mean, that wasn't the prosecution's theory. I don't think anybody thought that this was other than a series of unfortunate, and I'm putting you know, the word mistake in air quotes. I mean, she got off on the wrong floor. We do that. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, how, how can you... How can you go up to a door where you've got a blue um, welcome mat and they've got a red welcome mat and still go in? I, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not explaining that other than, to, or certainly not justifying it, other than to say, all right, how many times have you been driving a car and all of a sudden you say, gosh, the last exit I remember was the Mequon Road exit. Now I'm down at the Good Hope exit, you know, and, and I don't remember how I got there. I'm, and again, I'm, I'm not justifying what she did. She deserves to go to prison. I'm just saying that it's different than, hey, I'm going to come home at night, and for some reason I'm going to walk into this guy's apartment and I'm going to shoot and kill him. Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I think that, and I'm not going to go over the details of what happened. I, I, we, we get that part. I do have an issue with the sentence, and here's why. And I do think that, you know, and, and it's, it's, I guess it's ingrained in us. I do think that we're le- more lenient on fairly attractive white women. Mm-hmm. Back in 2003 here in, here in Florida, there's a teacher that ran over a kid that, yep. that ran over a kid and she ran from the scene. She got a license. Yep. There were there's been multiple teachers that have had sex with kids 
that get slapped on the wrist. Yep. Casey Anthony, in my opinion, got away with murder. You know what I'm saying? And then now you have this. There seems to be a pattern specifically with fairly attractive white women. It's like we don't. And, and when she was crying, I'm to be honest, I don't think that she was crying. Our remorse is just my opinion, and, it, and it's a harsh opinion. But I think that she was crying because she was facing all that time. Well, let, let me just tell you, Lauren, on, on your basic point, and I'll, I'll go back to you know another life when I was a federal prosecutor. I, I don't disagree with you. I think in general, judges tend to be softer on women than they are on men as a general rule. And then, then you can add the, the whole white versus black thing in. But I, I think women tend to do better in the criminal justice system than, than men. So I certainly agree with that premise. But in this case, you know, it was the jury that recommended the sentence. So do you think the jury got hornswoggled? Yeah, I, I okay. think I think just I'm not, and again, I don't blame the judge. I think I said we as a I think we as a collective right. people, we view. I mean, if you look better, you get better treatments. I think that race does play. But I, I tend to think because we've been conditioned you know, to be just to be softer. You're right on women, and then she's attractive, and then I think Ray plays a little role in there as well. You know, they they went they went light on her. No, good. thanks for calling. I, I mean, I, again, when, when somebody asked me, and I think this was an off-the-air conversation, but I said 10 to 15 years because I, I see this as different than, for example, the sentencing of Jordan Fricky this morning. A uh, number of social justice advocates are very, very upset in Dallas. Now, of course, the, 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 the concern here is, again, it is not a predominantly, if you want to see it in racial terms, it's not a predominantly or overwhelmingly or all-white jury that, quote-unquote, let her off. And so I, I think that takes out, out some of the steam from the argument. I, I look at a sentence of 10 years, and in all honesty, if you say, do I think this is an absolute outrage, my, my answer is is no. Could it have been a little bit more? Would I have been happy with that? Yes, but I don't think 10 years is an outrage under the extremely unique circumstances of this case. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Out of the frying pan, perhaps back into the fire. Wisconsin is one of only a handful of states that has a waiting period after you are divorced, after your divorce is final, before you can remarry. In 44 states, essentially the day your your divorce is final, if you want to remarry, you know you you can remarry the next day or whatever the waiting period is once you take out the license or something like that. Wisconsin is one of three states. It says, no, you can't do that. You have to wait six months. Um, Oklahoma and Nebraska are the only other two states that have a six-month waiting period. Alabama requires two months. Kansas and Texas have 30-day waiting periods. So Wisconsin is one of only six states that requires a waiting period, and Wisconsin, along with two others, has the longest waiting period, six months. Now, I want to be real clear here in our conversation. I do. Do I think, as a general rule... It's a good idea for somebody who has gone through a divorce to immediately turn around and get remarried. And my, my answer would be, no, that doesn't sound like it's the best idea. But at the same time, if your spouse, for example, passes away, all right, your spouse is deceased, there's no waiting period. You can, again, get married the, the next day or however, you know, I got to go and take the license out and there's a couple day waiting period for that. But but essentially, if your if your spouse passes away, there, there's no waiting period. So is it really fundamentally any different 
if there is a divorce situation. Now, I bring this up because there is bipartisan legislation moving its way through the legislature, which would eliminate the six-month waiting period after a divorce is finalized before a person can remarry. And I guess the thinking of this is, especially in some situations where the divorce process can be messy, it can be dragged out. If somebody has made the decision that they want to get remarried for whatever reason, why should they have to wait an extra six months? Especially, like I say, where in some cases you, you've got the divorce proceeding that, you know, maybe it's going on for nine months, maybe it's going on for three years. Stuff like that is not necessarily unusual. All right, so let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand in my conversation about this is purely theoretical, never having been through a divorce. Do I think it is a good idea for somebody who's gone through a divorce to immediately turn around and get remarried within a few days or a week or two weeks after that divorce becomes final? As a general rule, intellectually, my answer would probably be no. At the same time, people are grown-ups, and if you've decided that you want to get married, does the government, I mean, should the government be telling you, no, you can't do that as a matter of law? And given the fact that you know, 44 states don't have any provision about this. Do we think people in Wisconsin are particularly more, for example, irresponsible than, you know, people in those other 44 states? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I guess my position on this is while I think it is not necessarily a good idea to immediately turn around and get married, at the same time, I'm, I'm a small government guy, and I'm not sure – why the government should be telling somebody, no, you have to wait six months after your divorce is final. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Rather, I think this law is, it's sort of an anachronism. I, I think it was, I, I, I get it. The, the idea was years and years and years ago, perhaps when divorce was unfortunately, um, now it's perhaps divorce is unfortunately perhaps more common now than it was years ago. But I think, you know, what, what happened was maybe this is an idea that said, well, well, this, this will stand to keep families together if we have more, if we have this prohibition. I really don't think that's how it works in the real world. And candidly, I, I guess I, I think that this is a law who should, who should probably be taken off the books. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if any of you have ever been in this particular situation before or not, but what do you think? Do we leave the law in the books or do we simply say, hey, once you've gone through the divorce, if you want to remarry, it's up to you when you do that? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John on the south side. John, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, John. Hey. I don't think government should have anything to do with marriage. Um, historically, it used to be that we just signed in our family Bible, and the wife signed in the family Bible, and you had a witness, and the priest or whoever was doing the ceremony, and then you were married. Well, so are you saying that you'd be in favor of doing away with any government, any government role in, in recognizing marriages? Yes, totally. I don't think the government should have anything to do with marriage whatsoever. That's between two people who decide that they're going to be together for the rest of their life and whoever runs the ceremony and a witness. Well, just as a practical matter, how do you, all right, for example, 
for under tax law, uh, married couples are treated differently than single couples. How do you verify that somebody really is is married? You just take their word for it? I don't think there should be any tax exemptions for you deciding to be with one person for the rest of your life shouldn't give you a tax break compared to somebody else who hasn't found someone they want to be with with the rest of their life. I don't think there should be any tax laws differing from individuals to married. Okay, well, I guess I, I, I'm not with you on this one. I mean, I, I think the state historically has always had a role in in regulating the institution of marriage by the way you have religious ceremonies and you have the you know the secular type of ceremonies as well and i think the state has an interest in saying okay look um you know we're we're going to recognize what is a, a legitimate marriage and we're going to have these different things. Otherwise, you know, I, I could I could marry somebody one week and then decide I'm going to marry somebody else the next week. And so I think the state has a role in that. Now, the question is, where do you end up drawing that line? And to me, after a marriage has been lawfully dissolved at that point in time, I guess I just don't see the wait, the point of a six month waiting period until you can remarry. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that I think. For most people, that the best thing in the world is, hey, my divorce is final today. I'm going to run down to City Hall and take out a marriage license and get married six days later. I I think that's probably a bad idea. But if you want to do it, should the government be telling you you can't? Emily in Mequon. Emily, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What do you think? Six months too Um, long? It's ridiculous. Um, I, I think about all the people that I've seen go through divorces from a child watching my children's, my friends, parents to people I know now. When you're going through a divorce, that is a lengthy process. Right. You have to go through, you know, um, child custody. You have to go through division of assets, things like that. In that time, a lot of times you do find someone that you are supposed to be with. Maybe that's the cause of the divorce. Right. Having to tell someone that, um, you know, most of the times it isn't your divorce. Let's go grab someone and get married. It's I've gone through this process. I'm preparing for the next stage of my life as I'm going through this divorce. Right. That's that's part of the process. Right. And you and you've made the commit. So let, let's say let's say it's a situation where you're 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 talking about a lengthy divorce and it's a couple years and it's been acrimonious and. During that process, or maybe even before, because that happens, you've met somebody else, you've made the commitment that as soon as my divorce is final, we're going to get married. I See, I'm with you. Why should the government say, okay, well, you're going to have to wait another six months? To me, it just it just doesn't make any any sense, especially, like I say, given, to your point, how long some of these divorce proceedings can take nowadays. Oh, yes, and I think sometimes it's false to think that these divorces after, you know, these marriages after divorces are either, um, you know, just kind of uh, off the, you know, off the right. top. A lot of times divorces are because you are falling in love with someone else or you are with someone else or your marriage has just right. dissolved. And right. so, yeah, why, why should you have to wait? Well, right. And, and then the flip side is if the concern is, well, we don't want we, the government has an interest in telling people. Don't do something overly emotional. Don't make it, you know, a, a rash decision. Well, then, like I was saying earlier, you, you lose a spouse. There, there's no waiting period. You can get married, you know, a week after your, your spouse passes away. And, and that would be, I think, a very bad idea as well. But there's no waiting period for that. So if the idea is we, you know, we don't want people rushing into bad decisions, well, you know, when they're, they're going through an emotional time, I think you could argue that in many cases the divorce is pretty much a done deal as opposed to the shock of losing a spouse. 
Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people, after going through a divorce in particular, are going to rush right into another marriage, given <laughs> what they've gone through. Right. No, th- th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, I think that's I was, I, I was talking to one of my colleagues this morning, and I will not identify him, her, but I, I was just discussing this topic in general. And they said, well, I really don't care about this issue because if anything ever happens to my husband slash wife, there's no way and you know where that I'm ever getting married again. <laughs> it's just like, period. You know, 414-799-1620, Frederick in Milwaukee. Frederick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Frederick. Yes, sir. I'm here. You're on the air. I'm well, thank you. What oh. do you think about this, sir? Well, I, you know what? I've been married. And I've lived with a woman without being married. And I tell you what, in in neither situation did downtown have anything to do with it. I'm saying that marriage has a definition. Right. And if you're living together, and this definition of marriage fits what you're doing, then you can't ignore that. And I know that when I broke up with the woman I was living with, as well as well broke up with the woman that I was married to, it hurt. Yeah. It was no different. There right. was no different. So I think the commitment to marriage needs to be more in the individual than it is downtown. Yeah. Now, whether or not, and if you're having sex, if my son having sex, then you need to think about marrying this woman. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we've gotten away from that, and we've got a society where it has no respect for marriage. Or not being married. Well, right, and, and thanks for the call, Fred. You know, see, I, I guess I, I think one of the concerns is if you allow people to get remarried right away, will that lead to more divorces? Will that lead to more breakups? And I just, as a practical matter, no. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think people end marriages. And again, I, I have no framework for this, but I don't think people end marriages by, gee, I I've, I want to marry somebody else within two weeks or a month or or six months. Now, you might end a marriage because you find somebody else that you you know want to be with or you think you want to spend your life with or, or whatever. But I, I don't know that the gee, we're going to get divorced now because I want to get married right away comes into it. I mean, I think so. You know. And again, 44 states allow you to get remarried without a waiting period. 44 states. And I don't think that there's any greater moral breakdown in those states than there necessarily is in Wisconsin. Jeff on the south side. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, one of your callers earlier pretty much talked on one of the topics about uh, the divorce, divorce process can take so long that you could be in a divorce for like 10 years so. That's kind of ridiculous. So I got a different point to make is that instead of trying to regulate when you can get married after your divorce, maybe it's time for people to start jumping in to regulate the divorce process because family courts are so lawless. Right. And their whole process is to just make. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we, I'm sorry. Your, your phone, your cell phone's dropping out there. That, that was not me. I, well, I heard you. I think you said the word lawless. And I'm not going to say I think family courts are lawless, but, but there, there's no question. That, that proceedings can be dragged out. I mean, some some divorces go through very, very quickly if, you know, both parties won out and they recognize that the marriage is over and you're able to, you know, agree to a, what each both sides agree is an equitable distribution of property. Well, well, then things can go smoothly and they can go quickly. On the other hand, as happens often, because 
a lot of times it's not a mutual thing. A lot of times what happens is it's one party that wants out as opposed to the other party, and you've got all those emotions, and you've got everything that's going on, and if you have kids involved, it makes it even more complicated. So you've got all those different factors there, and the truth of the matter is if it's not going to be one of these, boom, you know, we're just we can agree on everything, and you have just major disagreements that happens a lot, and, you know, that's – that's why, you know, you have, you know, attorneys who do these sort of situations and stuff like that. You know, it, you know, divorce can be simple and quick. It can also be lengthy and expensive and drawn out. And I guess the bottom line is once you go through that, once it's final, I, I think, you know, you're on your own. And if you want to jump back into that frying pan right away, all right, maybe your friends should talk you out of it. Maybe your kids could talk you out of it. But I don't think the government should say you can't do it. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa, what's bigger, a kilogram or a pound? Do you know? Kilogram or a pound? I'm going to say a pound. Okay. All right. And do you know what the... Do you, okay. No, all right. I'm guessing. Okay. I'm, Gru, you want to play? Kilogram or a pound? I'll take the kilogram. Okay. So you say you say a, a kilogram is bigger than a pound. You guys are both right. Do you know how much bigger a kilogram is than a pound? Four or six ounces? Mm, I have no idea. Mm, mm. So which one's bigger? Okay. A kilogram is 2.2 pounds. Okay. Okay. So I, I just... Oh, that makes a, sense. A, okay. a kilogram is 2.2 pounds. I, I Actually, that was the one thing... If you spend like ten or twelve or thirteen years of your life as a narcotics prosecutor, kilo, you quickly you, you quickly that? learn. You know that, that's how <laughs> oh, yeah. that's how my opening statements wow. always used to start. We've just arrested so and so. He was caught with three point six kilograms. Just to give you an idea, a kilo is two point kilogram is two point two pounds. Interesting. So, yeah. So that's eh, just completely useless knowledge. But a, a kilogram is two point two pounds. Hmm. But 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 there may be an occasion when you have to convert. You know, you, you got to know your metrics. You know, sometimes you have to convert those things. Sure. You know, so, all right, which brings me to where I want to start off the conversation today. The woman, the girl and her mother are offended and appalled. All right, should they be? All right, this story comes from Salt Lake City, Utah. The school district is is teaching metrics. They're teaching conversion. And they use this thing called Eureka Math. Eureka Math, they've got, they've got a, the school has one of these like common core math curriculums, one of these sort of standardized things. And I understand people love or hate common core. I don't want to get into that. But they, they use this math, um, where where their math comes from, the curriculum comes from this thing called Eureka Math, which is sort of like the standardized national thing. And they, they've had, Eureka Math's been around for a while. They have incredible success. So the the school district in Utah uses this. And one of the things they do to try to make math problems understandable is they try to put them in in like real-world situations to get the kids thinking about it. So instead of just some abstract subtract, you know, one number from another and then multiply, you know, what they try to do is they try to give like real-world situations. So this fourth-grade girl gets this quiz, and the quiz has different math story problems that are – uh, you know, one talks about, you know, multiple watermelons, okay? One talks about, one of the problems talks about a, a St. Bernard. And then this is the question, which is creating all the controversy. 
the question. It's question number seven on this particular test. The table to the right shows the weight of three grade four students. How much heavier is Isabel than the lightest student? Okay, so then there's a, a table. And, and these aren't these aren't students that are in a particular class. It's just three names. It's like C. Jane, you know, C. Jane go up the hill, all that type of stuff. C. Dick run after spot. Okay, so the table has students, Isabel, Irene, and Sue. And then next to them, it's got the weight. Isabel weighs 35 kilos. Irene weighs 29.38 kilos. And Sue weighs 29.238 kilos. So the question asks, the question asks, who, you know, how, how much, okay, Isabel weighs the most. You've got who, which of the other two students weighs the least and how much is the difference? So what you have to do is you have to, first of all, be able to identify, you know, what's more in kilos. And then, you know, once you do the subtraction, you have to multiply by like 2.2 to get your number. All right. So that, that's the math number. This becomes controversial and it's getting national attention because one of the students who gets this problem just just becomes irate, writes out this thing. I'm looking at what she wrote. This is offensive. Sorry, I won't um, do this. It's rude. Rude spelled R-O-O-D. I won't do this. It's rude. R-O-O-D. And her mother then comes out and she, her mother's going all over TV saying, I think this is an irresponsible way to teach children how to do math. Um, the daughter and the mom say, well, the daughter says, I thought it was offensive. I didn't like it because girls shouldn't be comparing each other. I know it was a math problem, but I don't really think that that's okay. Um, she says, well, this is, you know, I was a little bit worried about this, but we're, you know, we're, we're so concerned about body shaming and we're concerned about judging people by weight. How can we ask a story problem that makes reference to weight? Right now, the 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 people that put out this math question, they're not backing down. They said, look, look, I mean, what we're doing is, you know, we're trying to make questions relevant to a fourth grader's life. There's no value judgment in the question about weight. It's merely a comparison. Um, and then the the Eureka math people say it sounds like it's the parent putting the value judgment on it, not the question. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the the question that's generating this list it's, again, you're trying to teach people how to convert kilograms to pounds and how to identify what's bigger. And the question they use is, hey, here's three students, fourth grade students, hypothetical students, Isabel, Irene, Sue. Here's how much they weigh in kilograms. Um, How much is the difference between them? All right. And the girl and her mother are offended. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. is, Is this appalling? Or are the mother and the daughter overreacting? I mean, you know, you go to a baseball game, for example, and up on that big giant scoreboard, when a player comes up to bat, they're going to have the player's height. They're going to have the player's weight. I mean, it's going to be featured here. Is this body shaming or is this kid just way overreacting to what is a math 
problem at its heart. 414-799-1620. Are you appalled? Should we be appalled by it? I will tell you the company that develops these math things, they're not backing down. They're saying, look, we're, this is just, we try to come up with like real world sort of things. How much more does one kid weigh than the other? We're not making a value judgment about it. All right. Should we be offended? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of the reasons I love you. And it's because people get what the real issue is. I have at least a half dozen texts who've come in and they said, Jeff, that the problem isn't with this this question. That really is basically a, a simple question of math. Maybe the better issue is that you've got a fourth grader who can't spell at all. I mean, I'm not going. She writes, I'm not going to answer this. The question is rude. R O O D. Maybe the bigger question would be, I focus on perhaps how you're going to spell because rude is R U D E. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Heather says, Jeff, this reminds me of Wagner's rule of life number one. Life is tough. Get a helmet. Um, all right, uh, Jeff, in the world of international transportation, you better darn well know the difference between kilos and pounds. Um, you better know how to do these conversions. That's just the tip of it. Well, the mother would say, well, I'm not upset that they're asking the conversion thing. I'm just um, upset that I'm upset that, well, be- because, you know, they've used the example of comparing the weights of different you know, fourth grade, mythical fourth grade students, to which the easy response is, look, they're trying to make this understandable. It's a word problem. You know, you know so you've got a couple kids that weigh different things. All right, is, it, is there anything wrong with saying, hey, you've got a couple football players. One guy weighs 320 pounds. Somebody else weighs 240. You know, what's the difference? You know, who, who is the lighter and by how much? This is essentially basic math. And I understand that there are people who wake up on a daily basis basis, trying to, you know, find something to be offended about. And I understand that there's issues with body shaming and things like that, but that's not what this question is. Um, You know, this is, uh, again, this is just a basic math sort of issue. It's not saying, gee, we think Sue is emaciated because she only weighs, you know, 29 kilos, or we think Isabel is ridiculously heavy because she weighs 35 kilos. It's just one weighs 35, one weighs 29. You know, how many diff- what's the difference between them in pounds? Uh, Jeff, have the mother and daughter ever been to a pediatrician where they've tracked the little one's weight on a comparison chart? Comparison is part of life. It is. It is. Jeff, somebody needs to educate mom and daughter that weight is influenced by height and muscle mass, but that's not even the point. There's nothing about this that's offensive at all. I am appalled at the idiocy of the mother and congratulate the test writers for not backing down, to which I would say amen. I mean, look, I I understand my, my biggest beef, and I have been carrying on about this for years and years, is that we are raising generations of kids who can't do basic math in their heads, who, who can't who can walk into a grocery store and can't tell you if they've got $20 in their pocket and they buy various items of food. They can't tell you, you know, how much that they've spent until they get up to the counter. Or, and I've told this story before, you go, I don't know, at the, at a 
you go to a place there used to be a golf course that I would play at, and they'd used they'd have at the turn between the ninth and tenth holes, they'd have generally speaking nice high school kids that would be out there, and they would be cooking brats or hamburgers or diet coke or whatever they would, and you'd go up there and you'd order a hamburger and that was five bucks, and you'd order a diet coke and that was three bucks, and you'd give them a ten, and they'd have to pull out the calculator to do the numbers because in their head. They can't tell you what 10 minus 5 minus 3 equals as far as change, to which I'm going, look, I, I understand that we have calculators and I understand that everybody's got them on the phone nowadays, but in life, you got to be able to do basic math. And maybe that's what we should be more concerned about instead of, gee, I'm afraid this is going to lead to body shaming. Just do the math and worry about the other stuff later. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Why should I care about deadlines? They shouldn't apply to me. Let me explain. Remember back in the days of Blockbuster Video? If you were of certain age, now, Gru, are you too young for like the, the highlights of Blockbuster? You're not. You remember no, Blockbuster Video. Okay. So you remember on whatever night it was, Thursday or Friday or whatever, the Blockbuster Video, the new releases would come in, and the people would just flock to the stores trying to get the new releases. Remember all that? Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Big deal. And then the deal was you had an account at Blockbuster and you'd rent your movies and you'd go home. And then there was a requirement that, you know, you have to I, I forget how long you were allowed to keep them, but sometimes it's just only a couple of days and you had to return them. And so there was always a mad rush to get your videos, get the videos back to the Blockbuster video store, put them in the night drop, you know, before midnight. So why? So you didn't get charged an extra day, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so could you remember, I mean, I can remember many nights. I lived in Whitefish Bay. There used to be a Blockbuster video store on the corner of Silver Spring and Port Washington Road. And I can remember many Sunday nights, like at, at 1030 at night, when really the last thing I wanted to do was to take my sorry butt and drive over to that Blockbuster video thing. But I did it because I didn't want to get nailed with an overdue fine. So I would run out, and I'd go out typically, you know, in cold weather or whatever, and I'd, and I'd put it back in, right? You did those toes? They still got a family video in Wausau. When I visit my parents, we go there and rent movies, and we got to return it the next day. So. You've got to return it the next day, or else you get fined, right? Well, my parents' account, but Your right. parents' account, right. Okay, and your parents don't want to get fined because they don't want to have to shell out the dough, right? I don't want to get yelled at, right. Right, and you don't want to, right, that's, that's, that's our goal. So you take them back. Now, let me just ask you, and I want you to be honest here, because I know you are a law-abiding guy, and I know your parents are law-abiding people as well. But if there wasn't the threat of a fine that was out there, and it's Sunday night, and it's cold, and it's rainy or snowing, all right, do you think that you're going to get in the car and drive over to the family video and return the videotapes. Be honest. I could see circumstances where I wouldn't want to do that. Where you wouldn't want to do it, right, especially if there's no consequences. Well, don't feel bad because I I think, you know, even though we are law-abiding and rule-following people, the idea of consequences for failure to act, I think that's what motivates us and that's what drives us. Now, I use this as the lead-in to what I want to talk with you about now. Beginning October, now Chicago, let me just start off like this. The the city of Chicago is going to heck in a handbasket. Illinois is a financial mess. 
And the the new mayor of the city of Chicago is, well, a, a I want to say her name is Lori Lightfoot. I want to say that she is a, a left-wing loon. That might be, I, I don't mean to be offending to left-wing loons, but the last thing the city of Chicago needs at this point in time in its existence is somebody that is as far to the left as, as she is. But that's what they have. So here is the policy announced by the mayor. Beginning October 1st, so starting two to two or three days ago, city libraries are going to stop collecting fees on overdue books. They're going to stop collecting fees. On top of that, they are immediately going to forgive all outstanding library card debt. Okay, this makes Chicago the largest public library in the nation to eliminate these penalties. Yes, so you, so you heard me right. So you say, okay, you take out you take out a book, and or a, a videotape, or you know what, whatever you take out, or CDs, whatever you take out from the library, and and you don't return it. All right, what happens? Well, okay, I don't know if you can check them out for a week or two weeks. I don't know what it is, but the way it's going to work moving forward is that libraries will automatically renew overdue items up to 15 times. So let's say you can check out a book for two weeks for the sake of argument. That means you're really not checking out the book for two weeks. You can check out the book for 30 weeks because they will ultimately renew the book automatically. You don't bring it back. It is automatically renewed for 15 times unless another patron places it on hold. Okay. If the item is not returned after 15 renewals, the borrower will be charged a replacement fee, um, which the library will waive once it has been returned. Okay, so you 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 check out a, I don't know, you you, you check out a, a DVD or or whatever, and you you don't return it and you don't return it and you don't return it. Well, after fifteen times, it's automatically renewed. So then you bring it back. And, and so then the penalty, there's no fines, no overdue things. You bring it back, and then what happens is they say, okay, well, we've charged you for this, but since you brought it back, forget about that charge. Patrons who rack up an outstanding balance of $30 or more will be prohibited from borrowing additional items. Um, previously, the fine for overdue books was 25, per, 25 cents per day. The goal, and and by the way, if you if you have outstanding library books or you have outstanding fines, forget it. They're they're all waived as well. This is part of the mayor's goal. The mayor believes that the idea of fining people for not bringing back library books on time is is regressive. She says she wants to remove barriers for low income residents and younger patrons. So it, it's regressive for saying you, you got to bring the book back in two weeks, and if you don't, we're going to fine you for that. All right. Last year, let's see, I've got the numbers here. Last year they collected almost $900,000 in late fees. That's only a small portion of their budget, but it is 900000 But starting, again, this week, the, if you owed a late fee, it's waived. If you check out a book and you don't bring it back, there are essentially no consequences and the mayor says, I want to do this because I want to encourage poor people to use the library more. Okay, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good progressive idea, or 
I don't know. First of all, is this like, again, low expectations imposed on people and what could possibly go wrong? I mean, we're not going to require people to bring stuff back anymore. Time limits are now gone. Keep what you take out essentially for as long as you want. Nothing will happen to you. All right. How is this going to play out a year or two from now? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And should we do this? Is this an idea whose time has come? Should we be doing this, you know, in our suburban community? Should we be doing this in Milwaukee? No fines anymore for not returning books or DVDs, whatever. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. This might be my favorite text of the day. Jeff, don't be too hard on the city of Chicago. I like that model fee structure. How about live and forget library books? Can it work with rental cars? I'd rent cars more often if that were the case. In other words, hey, yeah, you rent the car. You don't have to bring it back when it's due. You keep it. We'll automatically let you have it at no extra charge for, I don't know, another 15 to 30 weeks. And then, you know, then when you bring it back, we'll waive any consequence. 414-799-1620. I don't think the rental car businesses would stay in business too long. David in Mequon. David, you're first. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, David. So the, so the taxpayer is penalized again for irresponsibility. That's number one. And number two, you're actually going to have this problem now where people, you know, they can keep the, you know, whatever they checked out mm. for all those weeks. Now you just literally hampered the, uh, another person from wanting the same book, the ability to check out a book because yep. there's only so many publications. Yeah. And so now you end up making, you know, worse access. And flipping on the taxpayer for your responsibility, it's the worst of all worlds. Well, well, I don't understand how she can't correlate the two. Well, and I guess it's also, I mean, you know, you want to talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. I mean, that's the cliche. But this yeah. idea that, oh, we, we think this is regressive because just because you're low income, that automatically means that you can't be expected to return a library book on time. I mean, where where does that, where, where is the correlation between people's income and their ability to meet deadlines for goodness sakes yeah it, the whole thing i don't understand and especially you know when you just brought up earlier with the budget so out of whack there yeah every little bit that they can get is is you know a little bit less money they have to worry about coming out of somebody else's pocket well, it's not right it's nine hundred thousand bucks last year they collected in overdue fees no thanks i mean it's yeah i mean they're, they're turning their back on nine hundred thousand dollars because the left-wing mayor of the city of chicago has decided Gee, I, I think it's too much to expect, you know, uh, presumably poor people. Now, my guess is there, there's wealthier people, too, people with the ability to pay who, you know, haven't returned library books either. But her assumption is the majority of this is going to be poor people. But her assumption is it's too much to expect somebody based on their socioeconomic status to return a library book in a timely fashion. And the reality is, you know, you remove the consequences of doing this. And it's just human nature. People, you know, if you've got a problem right now, you know, if you've had $900,000 in collectible library fees, you know, last year, you, you know it's going to be three or four times that because now people are going to say, well, I, I didn't get around to reading that. I'm just going to stick that book on my shelf or I'm going to stick the DVD on my shelf. 414-799-1620. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Hi, John. big fan of the show. Thank you, sir. Um, 
So uh, one of the first things I ever owned in my life uh, was a library card. Right. Uh, you know, I'm in my I'm in my 20s, uh, so I, it's a big thing for me learning first lesson of responsibility. So I just think I, it shouldn't be regarding your your social status, like you said. You know, you should just everybody that should be one of the first things to teach your kids is responsibility. You yeah, you check out, yeah, right. And you, you check out the book. You got to read it. You got to either renew it or you got to go back to the library and turn it back in. Yeah, that's not that's not. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is or how much money you have. That that's kind of a simple thing. And I guess the, the other thing that kind of concerns me about this, John, is. Well, what's going to happen to the library as a practical matter if people can now just take out books and not return them with no consequences? I mean, it, some people will return them, but most people won't. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd hate to see that happen. Um, you know, what, yeah, what's going to happen? You're not going to have anybody return anything anymore. You know, every, everybody wants things for free now, I feel. Right. Um, you know, so I'll hang up and listen. No, thanks. Well, you're right. And everybody wants stuff for free, and we're, we're giving them this – we're giving the stuff for free. Now, look, I, I think libraries ha- have a, a role – there's no question. I have, a, I have a friend, and she works at you know one of the libraries in the area, and they, they get a, they get a lot of traffic. It, you know, it kind of surprises me because I'm I used to go to libraries when I was younger, but I, I don't so much anymore. But she says it gets a lot of traffic. A lot of young people go into them. A lot of older people go into them. I want to see libraries survive, but at the same time, this idea that we now have to change our norms. Our norms being we expect you to. Okay, it's as a taxpayer, as a government-funded institution, we expect you to be responsible, meaning if the taxpayers are going to pay for a book or a DVD or a CD or whatever the heck it is that you take out for free, we expect that you be responsible and then you return it in a reasonable period of time. Well, now apparently we, we can't we can't have that expectation anymore. Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Hi. I guess my comment is... Um isn't this destructive to the to the whole premise of what a library is about? I mean, if people are checking things out and there's no motivation for them to return, you know, the items, you know, what's going to be on the shelves in the library? Yeah, you know, right. I mean, right. It, it, exactly. All the, I mean, you know, anything that's that's popular that people might want to read that that's going to be gone. And it, it's because there's no. There's no incentive. I took it out in good faith. Gee, I intended to return it, but I got busy. I didn't get around to reading it. I mean, can you just imagine all the books that are going to be lost? There's going to be – when I used to check out books from a library when I was a kid, we always kept those in a separate pile with a note as to when they had to be returned. It it actually – I think it also taught me a little bit of discipline, Jeff, and, you know, the idea Absolutely. that you, you got to finish and you got to get it back there. Absolutely. All right. Now, thanks. I guess I just – and, and again, the, the reason this is happening is, again, because the mayor says, well, you know, we, we think we have this regressive system out there. And, you know, we're concerned that this fine is making it more difficult for low income residents to use the library. Hmm. All right. Well, first of all, if if people return the books or the DVDs or the CDs in a in a timely fashion, there's not a fine in the first place. The reason you have the fine is to give some incentive for people to comply with the rules. And look, human nature being what it is, let's just understand that you know you don't have those fines. Lots of people 
are going to sit on those books. They're going to sit on the DVDs. They're not going to be available. And you're going to, at some point in time, have to turn to the taxpayers and say, gee, we've got all these books that are outstanding. We don't have fines on the books anymore, but we've got all these books that are outstanding. They're in various people's hands, and we have no ability to get them back. Here, what are we going to do? Oh, we want the taxpayers to buy us all sorts of new books, so then we can give them out again to people. Huh. Talk about, as I say, the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's 152. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, yesterday I go to the doctor for my, my checkup and stuff, and I get a flu shot in my left arm, mm-hmm. and I get one of these shingle shots that the, the doctor told me I should have. So, two shots. I get one in my left arm, shingle shot in my right arm. Oh, right. No, wait, how are you feeling? Well, well that, that's the thing. And then I get poked and prodded on other stuff. Oh, no. But the, the, the shingles, mm-hmm. about 11 o'clock yesterday morning, my right arm starts Ooh. hurting like, you know. And then somebody's telling me, well, it, it's the, the shingle shot. And I, I'm not complaining about it. I've never had shingles. You have, right? I have had shingles. Strangely yeah. enough, I'm 40 years old. Healthy. I work out. I eat well. And I think there was a lot of stress happening in my life. And I never thought I would ever get shingles. But I caught it within three days. If you catch it early, you can get on antivirals. And I have no repercussions from it. And I know a lot of people do. A lot of people have. It's just horrendous. That's what my doctor was saying. He said, if you've you've ever had this, you don't want it. You don't want it. It's just absolutely miserable. So he says, well, you know, they have the shot that's out there now. We've got the vaccine. And you have one. I got one yesterday. And then you come back between two and six months and you get a second one. So there's, there's two things. And I'm like... Well, I've never had shingles, but okay, you know, what the heck. But they give me the shirt, and it's, apparently it's it like an intra, well, it's an intramuscular thing, so it's mm. like a tetanus shot. Ooh, so, yeah. so about 11 o'clock, it started hurting oh, like heck. Yeah. It was hurting. I'm thinking, why is my arm hurting yeah. like this? It was hurting all day, and I will tell you, last night, I don't know if it was a flu shot or that, but I mean, I didn't feel, last night it's kind of yeah. like, I get home, and thankfully Fran was going out to dinner with yeah. a friend of hers, because I was like, I just want to lay on the couch and just kind of, take a nap or something but yeah but it's so i i hopefully i will be protected but it was that was an amazing thing yeah that is and i think um you know my doctor said as soon as you turn 50 melissa get the shingle shot because insurance doesn't cover it prior to 50 once you hit 50 then you're covered and otherwise otherwise i passed that milestone several hundred (laughs) several hundred dollars i don't know to get the shot but yeah there you go jeff (laughs) okay yeah so i got that that, there's there's one of the benefits of you know hitting (laughs) hitting 50 is that you've got that free shingles shot well that's 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 exactly right. But I, I went ahead and got it. And if, if your doctor says do it, but I mean, I'm telling you, that one, yeah. that, it, it definitely Whew. got my attention. So I'm poked and prodded. I drew <laughs> oh, no. blood. I've got bruises there. It's something else. All right. I just let us go where angels fear to tread. If I, I, I read on a daily basis, I, I read a lot of national publications so that you don't have to. I read the New York Times. I read the Washington Post. I read the L.A. Times, all sorts of stuff. All right. So I, I read these things so you don't have to. I will tell you, if you look at many of these newspapers, they are in the first couple pages, they are essentially all impeachment all the time. It's one story after another after another involving impeachment. In our studio, we have a, a number of computer monitors. So we monitor different, you know, uh, and TV monitors. So there's one right now it's on CNN, and there's one that's got the weather thing, and there's one that's got the traffic thing, and there's one TV that I get to control. We won't say what I have on there now. But if you watch the, the, the TV newscasts, 
it it is almost 24/7 impeachment now i'm not saying they don't talk about something different but but it it's it's almost full time impeachment type of of stuff so clearly this is where the editors of the largest newspapers in the country think the public interest is. This is where the news directors that control what goes on CNN or MSNBC do. This is what leads. Now, the interesting thing about this is by all the coverage of impeachment, what's happened is it sucked all the air out of all the other national issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, do, do you see the relentless drumbeat about, you know, the border anymore? Well, no, you have a story maybe, but, but that, that's gone on the wayside. You know, discussions about Medicare for all or homelessness or all these things. I'm not saying that there's no coverage of it because there is, but it's clearly all these different issues, at least in the minds of the national media, as evidenced by like the, the national press, and at least the national, you know, news shows, it's all impeachment all the time. These are all, everything else is secondary stories. So all these issues that people, for example, who were campaigning, the people who want the Democratic nomination for president, they're, they're, all these issues are on the wayside now. All, we're obsessed now with the idea of impeachment. Now, I bring that up because there's a story in the Journal Sentinel. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, he, he's having a town hall. And he's out in Pewaukee. Now, I, I, admittedly, this is Waukesha County, okay? But but you have, you have, and, and just talk to Jim Sensenbrenner, you know, who, who does all these different town halls. We don't know where that came from, Grill. Okay. We, um, okay, we have electronic bugaboos. All right. So Jim Sensenbrenner does town halls on a regular basis. And, the, you know, he gets Republicans and he gets Democrats. And the same thing is true. You know, Ron Johnson goes out and he does these town halls. And admittedly, the one I'm going to talk about is in Pewaukee, which is a more heavily Republican area. But still, you, you get a diverse audience that ends up showing up. Story in today's paper talks about how, you know, Johnson is out in Pewaukee. He's, you know, front of the Chamber of Commerce. This is the Pewaukee Chamber of Commerce. And he's taking questions. And the, the people in the audience, well, they, they want to talk about a lot of stuff. They want to talk about tariffs. They want to talk about health care. They want to talk about student debt. They want to talk about the conditions of the roads. They want to talk about taxes, all these different things. So they're asking him questions. Not one person asks him about impeachment. It, it just it, it doesn't come up. And it's not because Johnson said we're not going to talk about impeachment. It's because... The audience, now admittedly, this is the Chamber of Commerce out there, but, you know, it's that it's not on their agenda. That's not what they care about. They care about all these other things that might really impact their businesses and, and their lives. Taxes, health care, student debt, infrastructure, trade, all these things. So I am wondering whether or not there is a disconnect between the talking heads and the editors of the newspaper and the news directors at the TV stations and the average person. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I acknowledge, when, whenever I go down this road, I've already made my position clear. I, I think that what, I think these conversations that President Trump had were unseemly and unwise. I do not believe that right now you have an impeachable offense. But regardless, 
regardless of what I think or regardless of what you think, he's not going to be impeached. I mean, he might the House might vote for impeachment over the next three to six months. The Senate's not going to convict him. He's not going to toss. He's not going to be tossed out. So part of what I'm saying is informed by the decision that we're not. Nothing is going to happen. He's not going to be removed from office. Frankly, there's probably just, even if you felt he committed an impeachable offense, there's probably just not enough time to even do that before the elections a year from November, you know, in 13 months. But I want to have a discussion about this. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, on a scale of 1 to 10, which with 10 being hair on fire, I cannot get enough of this. I cannot believe that Donald Trump is still allowed to be president versus one being, my God, there's so many more things in the world that we want to talk about. This is nothing but a witch hunt. All right, where are you on the impeachment scale? One to 10 with one being, eh, come on, let's move on. There's other stuff. I want to scream whenever I see all this thing to 10 being I can't wait to turn on the television or the radio or go to the Internet or get the newspaper because I want to read everything I possibly can. Johnson does an event in Pewaukee. Impeachment doesn't come up at all. Not, not might not necessarily be representative of the overall area. But all right. How worked up are you over impeachment? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Give me a scale one to ten. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Let's go to the, uh, before we take some calls, let me just set the stage with some texts. Jeff, I am a white suburban college educated woman and uh, truthfully, I'm at a 10. I am done, done, done with President Trump. Forgot to mention I'm a Republican too. This will be the first election cycle. I have not voted Republican in my entire life with the exception of voting for a third party in the next election. Uh, Jeff, I'm at a one because under your grading scale, I can't give it a zero five. Jeff, Trump impeachment, I'll give it about a one for me. Granted, he didn't do something illegal that is an impeachable offense. If he did, then kick him out. But he's done so much for the country. Okay, here's another text. Jeff, um, 11. 11. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tim in Fond du Lac. Tim, you're on WTMJ. All right, where are you on the impeachment scale? I'm a seven. Okay. All right. Uh, I just I don't think our president should be out. Asking foreign governments to investigate mm-hmm. political rivals. I just, I don't think that's right. He was out there again today asking China to do it. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, to me, that's just not right. Do you think that impeachment is the right way to go about this and trying to forcibly remove him from office or that, look, you've got an election coming up in 13 months and if the majority of America uh, agrees, for example, where you are, he's going to be removed anyways. Is, what about the process? Well, the, the, the process is, is going through the process that the, the, the Democrats have the right to bring impeachment up. If, right. if they don't find anything and the Senate says no, then the Senate says no. But that's that's the, the process that was in the Constitution. So I, I think that's fine. 
Okay, good enough. 414-799-1620. I'm asking you where you are on this scale. I just, you know, there's a new poll, USA poll, today poll says Americans by a 45 to 38 percent plurality now support a vote by the House of Representatives to impeach Donald Trump. Well, um, over the Ukraine allegations. Well, okay, we, we don't necessarily govern by polls and of course, if you believe the polls, Hillary Clinton would have been the president for the last several years. So I don't know how much weight to put to that. What I also don't know is how strongly people feel. Now, get it. I understand that there are some people that are very, very passionate on one side of the issue or the other. I, I get that. But I'm really struggling with is that where mainstream, main street America is? 414-799-1620. Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Where are you? Give me a number on this. I'm at a two. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I say this is I just haven't, like you said, I just haven't seen anything yet that really rises to the level of impeachment. Right. Um, it just seems like they, they're just on this this fishing expedition and hoping they find something. And, uh, and and like you've always said, it's just a huge waste of time, huge waste of money, and we've got all these problems out there. And here's the thing that really is, is kind of disturbing to me. Let's say a Democrat wins the presidency yep. next the next time. Is this just going to be the new normal? I mean, now Democrats. I mean, what 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 do Republicans have that they they're just going to have to go out and do the same thing? They're going to have to go witch hunting and looking for things. And I mean, is this just going to be the new normal? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring it up, Dave, because during the second term of of the second Obama term, he was doing a lot of things by executive fiat. You know, he was he was having executive orders that kind of thwarted the will of Congress. And there were at least a handful of Republicans who said, look, he took an oath to to uphold the Constitution. And, you know, these different actions he's taking are in violation of the Constitution. And and we want to start impeachment proceedings. And candidly, cooler heads prevailed because just. I, I mean, I, I didn't think that was an impeachable offense. Did I think he was doing the right thing? Did I no? Did I think he was exceeding his congressional powers? Yes. In that case, though, you know, you, you you sue him, you bring litigation on, you don't go to impeachment. So I do wonder, along your point, is this the new normal where, you know, whenever there's an opposition party that has the White House and Congress, is, is this now going to be what we do that we're searching for impeachment? I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, it's it's just it's it's a horrible precedent that's being set right now, and I don't know if it's just because Trump is such a polarizing figure, or this is just like you said, it's just going to be the new normal, and nothing will ever get done. Hmm. And I guess this really opened my eyes to that there is kind of a deep state situation going on here. Um, yeah, that word is a cliche, but well, no, I I think there's I. Right. I look, I, I don't go down the conspiracy route. I, I, I don't. I'm not that guy. But they're clearly, you know, and, and Trump, President Trump brings a lot of this on himself. I'm going to be the first one to, to say that. And as I've been saying for years, there, there's all sorts of stuff that he has disagreed with. He is not the kind of traditional Republican that I grew up with. I mean, and, and I disagree with a number of his policy matters. But just because I disagree with him on policy doesn't mean that I think he needs to be removed from office. Um, I, I don't like the chaos. I don't like the... Uh, the, the punching down. I, I don't like the the nasty tweets and stuff. But but that's that's his style. And I don't know that you remove somebody because you don't like their style. Uh, 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 absolutely. And and I mean, if you look at it, uh, um, as far as a Democrat and Republican go, was Trump the greatest one to pick? But the, the things I've been hearing that have been coming out of the Democratic Party's mouth, the the candidates, is so insane to me that you can't really even 
vote for them because you just if what if they started implementing some of the things they're talking about? Um, well, that's yeah. No, thanks for calling. I mean, see again, that's I mean, people ask me, and and again, I always give this caveat. People say, "What do you think is going to happen in the next election?" And my my caveat is like. The vast majority of pundits out there, and probably you, I, I didn't think Donald Trump was going to win the election. So, I mean, I, I have to put that out there, and I, I didn't see the, the Trump win coming over Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, I, I take that with a grain of salt, and you look at the different polls that I do think underrepresent the depth of his support and the passion of his support. I mean, as we talked about yesterday, after this impeachment stuff started, I mean, the, the Republicans started raising money like a house on fire. I mean, forty within 48 hours of the um, of Nancy Pelosi last week announcing an impeachment inquiry, that you know, Trump gets $8.5 million in small dollar donations. I mean, that tells you that there's a breadth of support that's out there. I, I always say I, I'm not in a position right now to tell you how I think the presidential election is going to come out. I am relatively confident that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican candidate, for better or worse, because I just don't see any way that he's going to be removed, which means that this next five, six months, sucking all the air out of all these other issues when we talk about impeachment, is really designed to appeal to you know various bases one way or the other, and it's not going to accomplish anything one way or or the other if you hate trump you hate trump if you love trump you're going to think that this is a witch hunt and and we're not going to get any closer to becoming together as a as a country but you know will he win or not i think a lot of that depends on who the democrats nominate as their candidate if they think they can put anybody up there against donald trump i think that is a mistake i still don't believe i believe this is essentially a center-right country. I, I do. And I think if the Democrats nominate people of the far left, like a Bernie Sanders, hope he gets better soon and he's back out on the campaign trail, or an Elizabeth Warren, I, I think that even though there's a lot of middle, mid-range voters who might not like Donald Trump because of his personality or whatever, I'm not sure they're ready to vote for somebody who is going to essentially try to upend the entire American system like a Warren or a um, like a Bernie Sanders. And so I want to wait to see who it is that they end up nominating. 414-799-1620. Okay, 1 to 10, where are you on this impeachment question? Julio in Milwaukee. Julio, thanks for waiting. Hello. Yes, hello. What do you think? Uh, well, I think uh, we should go with uh, impeachment just because uh, the Constitution uh, allows it. Um, I do not know exactly how everything's going to end up, but... I think that's uh, the right thing to do at the moment. Um, if if I am correct, and I could be wrong, but if I'm correct that the politics of this is party line vote in the House after a couple months, Democrats pretty much all voting to impeach, Republicans not, matter going over to the Senate, Republicans voting not to remove him from office, Democrats voting him to do that. Is it all, Is in your opinion, is it likely that, Six months from now, we're going to be in exactly the same situation we are today. Uh, most likely, yes. And due to that fact, I mean, I don't think we should. Uh, I know that a lot of people believe he's going to probably be uh, representing the Republican Party. Uh-huh. But uh, there's people aware that there's other individuals trying to run yeah. for the primaries against him. And there's already states that are already... Uh, have announced that they are canceling the primaries yeah. due to the fact of what we are going through right now. I believe I think that's the worst thing we could do because uh, you're running the risk 
of a Republican not holding the presidency. I uh, thanks. So, I mean, I, I, Julio, I, I'm, I'm with you. By the way, I, 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 I'm glad Wisconsin isn't one of the states that's toying with the idea of doing away with the presidential primaries. I don't think you should do that. I think, I think parties benefit with perhaps a couple exceptions, but as a general rule, I think parties benefit from having, you know, a vigorous primary. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, I, I don't see anybody on the horizon that's going to defeat Donald Trump. And for better or worse, he's going to be the standard bearer for the Republican Party in November of 2020, and some, something dramatic that none of us see happen. And that that that's going to have all sorts of implications moving forward. But it is the reality. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let me give you a head start on one of the big breaking news stories of this evening. Uh, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is going to be meeting, and we anticipate that there will be statements coming out about at least what's going on with the Milwaukee police chief, Alfonso Morales. For people who haven't been following this, um, Alfonso Morales, who, by the way, wasn't the choice of Mayor Tom Barrett. Um, Alfonso Morales, after after the former Milwaukee police chief, Ed Flynn, kind of wore out his welcome and resigned, uh, there were a couple candidates, two in particular, from inside the department who emerged from the top. Uh, Tom Barrett wanted one candidate. The Fire and Police Commission, which is appointed by Tom Barrett, they, they chose Alfonso Morales. I think Alfonso Morales has done an outstanding job. Uh, I don't know that the mayor has ever warmed up to him, in part because to the extent he has politics, and, and really, I, I think he's been pretty much apolitical as a police chief, but to the extent he has politics, he's not a Democrat. And so the, I think Barrett would like a Democrat in that job. For me, Alfonso Morales has done an outstanding job as the police chief. Being a police chief in an urban area like Milwaukee is a thankless job. And Lord knows Chief Morales has had more than his share of struggles and problems over the course of the the last couple years, especially given the fact that you've had, what, one, two, three Milwaukee police officers who've lost their lives in the line of duty. That's that's tough. And I think he has done an admirable job of keeping up the morale of the police department. He has broad support within the rank and file. Now, that's not saying that everybody loves him, but I think he has broad support. I think he's respected. I think he's viewed as a fair sort of guy. And his contract is up in early January. He was essentially appointed to fill the balance of Ed Flynn's term. Tom Barrett, to his shame, has left Morales hanging. He, he really he, he hasn't been any sort of you know public endorsement of him other than in the last week or so. Some well, I, I you know I I'm, I'm hoping he stays, but Barrett has not been in front of this, which is again left Chief Morales kind of hanging in the wind. Uh, Barrett doesn't ultimately make the call. The Fire and Police Commission does, but the Fire and Police Commission is appointed by Tom Barrett, even though there's been all sorts of problems back and forth. Bottom line is tonight there's apparently a meeting where the future of Chief Morales will be discussed. He alluded to this on Monday when he appeared on our air at WTMJ 2020. Bottom line is if the city of Milwaukee is smart, and that's a big if, um, he, he should be reappointed. 
There, there's just no question about it. You've got the Democratic National Convention coming next summer. He's been involved in the plans. He's done, I, I think, a really, really good job since she, since he has been there. And I think this is one where Mayor Tom Barrett and the Fire and Police Commission, they need to recognize that, you know, you, you've got, at least at this point in time, you've got somebody who's doing a quality job. There is no reason at this point to, to change horses. And if the big justification is, gee, Tom Barrett wants somebody that's more politically aligned with him. Well, all right, it wouldn't necessarily be the first time that politics has been put ahead of, of good policy. But keeping Alfonso Morales as the police chief is very good policy. My hope is tonight... They announced that, you know, they're, they're going to re-up his contract. He certainly deserves that. All right, some other breaking news story. Let me just highlight this. Um, coming up during Wisconsin's afternoon news, John McCure is going to share this with you in its entirety. I have in my hands, dated April 16th, 19, uh, 2019, I have the letter from Brendan Dassey of making a murderer fame. I have the letter that he sent to Governor Tony Evers as part of the petition for, again, clemency. And, you know, it's it's an interesting sort of thing. He tells the governor what is who his favorite wrestler is and who his favorite super villain is and what his favorite drink is and all sorts of things like that. And then way down in the letter, he also says he wants a pardon because he's innocent and he wants to go home. All right, I'll let McCure share the entirety of this with you. And I, I understand that now you've got a Kardashian that is calling on Tony Evers to issue clemency. The thing that bothers me most about this whole Brendan Dassey stuff is that lost in, in all this attention that Stephen Avery gets or he gets is the fact that you have two people that have been convicted of about as brutal a murder as possible. And, you know, where where is the support? Where is the interest for the Hallbach family? That's that's the frustrating thing about this. And I understand that there's some people who've been hornswoggled by watching Making a Murderer and they think that this is this huge miscarriage of justice. You will never convince me of that. But the bottom line is, you know, there's a young woman who's dead. And every time we get all this celebrity attention to a Brendan Dassey or a Stephen Avery, it takes the focus away from what we should really be concerned about. And that is that these two people are convicted of taking the life of that young woman. And every time one of these stories gets all the attention it gets and you have the stories and all the pictures and all the attention and all the national coverage, you know, we lose sight of the fact that these two were convicted of about as horrendous and heinous a crime as possible. But in any event, we now have Brendan Dassey's letter. McCure will share that with you in a couple minutes. When we come back, all right, a chicken in every pot and a check in every household. I will explain and we will discuss. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Okay, we got, only have a couple minutes, but I do want to take some calls on this. All right, we have in this country certain incentives that we give to people who have children. For example, you've got tax credits. There's the earned income tax credit for low earners, which is based on number of children. And there's the child tax credit, which is given to most families. So we, we do incentivize having kids. There are people who consider that that is not 
enough. Matter of fact, there's this thing floating around Congress called the American Family Act of 2019. Um, it's introduced by Michael Bennett, a senator from Colorado, and Kamala Harris, and Amy Klobuchar, and Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren, and Curry, Cory Booker, all people who aspire to be the next president of the United States. They're, they're all signed on on this. So what is the American Family Act of 2019? Here's what it would do. It would send all but the highest earning families 300 bucks a month for each child up to the age of five. And it would send $250 for each child six to 16. People who don't work would be eligible in contrast with the existing child credit, and it would be paid monthly. So the bottom line is, If you are staying home with kids, you are not working, you would get a check from the government in the amount of $300 a month for each child up to the age of five and $250 for each child age six to 16. No questions asked. You're not working. You're staying home. The government is going to send you a check. So let's say, I don't know, let's say you've got two kids that are eight and 10 that's 500 bucks, and you've got uh, another kid who's like four. That would be another 300. So you're going to get a check from the government for $800 a month for staying home and taking care of them. The idea behind this is, well, you know, people who stay at home work really hard. Why shouldn't they be compensated? Why should they be punished? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, we've only got a couple minutes, but I want your initial reaction. All right, what do you think about, the, and of course, it's no free money, so this is the taxpayers. This is those of us who don't have children or have adult children. Um, the, anybody that pays taxes would be having their tax, do, tax dollars used to send hundreds of dollars a month to people who aren't working but are staying home and taking care of the kids. And please understand, I mean, staying home, there, there is a value to that for the stay-at-home husbands or the stay-at-home wives. I appreciate, you know, that they're giving something up. Should the taxpayers compensate you for that, though? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, and I'm sure if you're listening to me now and you know, your your spouse is working and you're staying home with the kids. You would love to get a check for 500 or a 1000 bucks from the government, you know, every month. And, and would it make your life easier? I'm sure it would. But, all right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this really where we should be at this country at this point in time? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Christine in Fox Point. Christine, hello. Hi. Hi, Christine. Um, I think that's absolutely crazy. Okay, tell me why. I mean, we already have welfare and food stamps and those kinds of things that are abused by the system and the taxpayers. I mean, this certainly would <laughs> well, I mean, take yeah, it to a new level. Well, well, right. I mean, this, this is, in the abstract, I mean, this is a, a, an excuse or a justification for having as many children as you possibly can. You know, that's, that, I mean, that, that's the idea. Don't work. Have as many kids as you can. And the more kids you can, the more money the taxpayers are going to send you. And that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. 
mean, uh, you, you know. Oh, oh I, okay. You, no, you're Christine, I, I swear, I don't make this stuff up. You, you say it's ridiculous, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be an issue that's going to play out, and a lot of the people that want to be president, they're signed on to this, that they, yeah, 500 bucks or 300 bucks a month for every child under the age of four, if you're not working, we're going to pay you. I should like stop working and start having children. <laughs> well, I no, I mean, thanks. Well, I mean, that's I mean, thanks to call. Look, I, that's that's the that's the idea behind this, and it's no questions asked. Now, there there is an income cutoff, but it's only the upper income people. So I don't know where the the limit would be, but most people are going to be able to take advantage of this. And the argument, see, here's the appeal of this argument. The argument is, well, Jeff, do, do don't do you hate you know working mothers, or do you, do you hate non working mothers? Don't you think it's important for people to be able to stay home and take care of children? Don't don't you think that there's a value to that? A- absolutely. But but that's a decision that, that people make. You know, is somebody going to stay at home and take care of the kids or, or whatever? I don't think I don't think we've gotten to this point where the government necessarily wants to subsidize that. Now I do understand we do that to an extent with like the, the, the child credits and things like that that we give. But I mean seriously, taxpayers writing out a check every month to people um, who stay home and don't work if they've got kids. John in Jackson. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? I think it's a wonderful idea. Okay. I think it gives a chance for a mother to stay at home, take her kids, raise the family correctly. I don't know why anybody would be against it. Well, because who's going to pay for it? I think we're going to pay for it. Like we pay for smart bombs every day. Like we pay for uh, every government program out there we pay for it well right i mean we're gonna pay we're gonna pay taxes anyways aren't we is your tax gonna go up uh, yeah literally because someone gets uh, seven hundred dollars a month. Oh. I don't think so. Oh, well, I'm not going to die from it. Well, John, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, look, I, I understand, but you know, you, you couple that with everything else. For example, that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders wants to do. Um, yeah, here we're going to we're going to pay for this, and what we're going to do is after we send out that money to these people for you know staying home and working and staying home and not working. Yeah, then we're going to do away with all the student loan debt, and then we're going to do away with this or that or the other. Yeah, my question is, who pays for it? I mean, and the idea is I understand that there's people out there who want income redistribution. The idea is that you people, that the people who are working, all right, you know, you're making too much money and we need to take the money from you and distribute it to other people. To me, having children is a choice. And I look, and I understand that the people who decide, hey, we want to have kids, and so one of the spouses is going to stay at home and take care of the kids. I understand that that's a choice, and there's sacrifices that are involved, and you have to make do. But it's a choice that you end up making. And again, I, think about the flip side of this. Do we really want to incentivize financially having as many kids as you possibly can in order to get more money? Oh, people wouldn't do that. Well, yes, people would do that. You you know that would be exactly what would be happening. We would be encouraging, I think, in some respects, people to have children that they, I don't know if they want them, but they have no ability necessarily to support, and they're going to get by on the government dole. I'm not sure as a matter of public policy that's the greatest thing either. So it's a program that's out there. Yes, we have to pay for it. And yes, we, we pay for military. I understand all that. We pay for the military. We pay for all sorts of other social programs. All right, is this the social program that we should be paying for as well? 
you know, you want Elizabeth Warren? You want Bernie Sanders? Well, I mean, get ready, because this is one of the things that they think is a great idea. We, um, I'm sorry, a lot of people want to weigh in on this. I'm kind of up against the clock. We'll probably talk about this in the next couple days, because uh, it's, I mean, the argument is stay-at-home parents work hard. Why shouldn't they be paid? Well, I'm not against them being paid. I'm just against taxpayers paying them. This is Jeff Wagner. John McCure is in in a moment.